Well, hello and welcome along to On The Whistle. Oh yeah, I'm your Hossein Nabi. I'm taking over from the man who led the mutiny, Alistair Haworth. Alistair, how are you doing good, sir? Um, I mean, I'd like to say I'm doing well, but I can't lie. It's, it's disappointing to be to be back on the sidelines. <laughs> well, you know what? We're going to do the straw poll right now. Let me introduce the others. Hello, Francis Nkwayin, our African football expert, and Courtney Fries, the only man who has tin of any credibility sitting there. No, not only does he have the Spirit Cup for the over 35s and Grays Essex, the man played in the African Champions League, and he also won the Premier Soccer League with Manning Rangers. How are you good sirs doing? Very well. Uh, thanks for the introduction, Zane. Uh, happy to be back all together. Well, listen, last week, Alistair announced to the world that I would be out, and I heard every word of what you guys said. So here is your moment of truth. If you want to take a shot at the king, you better not miss. But you know what? <laughs> I'm a man. I've put up my boots. I've put up my gloves a long time ago. I'm a lover, not a fighter. So we'll do the straw poll right now. Here it is. We're not going to do it by a a, a, a vote of um, secrecy. We're going to do it very openly. So for all the eyes in favor of Alistair Howarth hosting from here on in, raise him up right now. I'm just saying as the person who edits this vi this this podcast, I'm cutting the video for this part. There's no proof of, of hands raised or otherwise. Inc inconclusive referendum. Uh, you know. oh, I'm, having, I'm having a bit of a problem with my sound quality. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm missing every second word. Uh, so. My connection is... You know what I love about this? Like, you guys... Are... <laughs> I don't know what's going on. You know what I love about this? is the, I feel like we're we're holding a referendum in a separatist region. And then I realize Francis and Courtney are pros at getting out of meetings and out of work, virtually. <laughs> That's what I've just realized. Something feels very putiny about this mutiny. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, listen, it is great to be around the Bri, and clearly by what everyone has said, we do not want to vote. We do not want to fight to the death. So you know what? We'll continue to do it the way we do it on the whistle. It's everybody's show. And for those of you listening out there, please hit us up on our social media accounts, OTW underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and find us on Facebook at On The Whistle Podcast. Give us your thoughts. Tell us what you think. I will go to the mailbag at the end of the show. So do ch stay tuned for that. I will be reading some of your comments and your questions then. But for now, we want to get the bride going. We want to get the embers. We want to get the coals all on fire. And we have some fantastic talk because we're going to start off with the World Cup qualifiers. And of course, reflect on Pizzo Mosimane's new role at Al-Ali in Saudi Arabia. He's Africa's um, best coach, most successful coach at the minute, a real leader. Um, and we're going to reflect a little bit about that appointment and what it could bring. But first off, we've seen some qualifiers. We're in the midst of them this week. Hence why the podcast is coming out a little earlier. Francis, not the greatest start for Cameroon. Can they turn it around against a Korean team that, um, you know, many, I think, don't understand the full strength of this team outside of the Asian continent? But let's get your 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 your, your overview of, of um, where you think the indomitable lines are now in the build-up to the World Cup. Well, I think just like what the president of the Federation said, Samuel Leto, um, a lot of the teams now, these are friendlies. 
and they're serving up almost as what the European teams or most teams do, um, like a sort of preseason preparation for the main event in in November and December. And I think a lot of the coaches are trying their hands out at new personnel, as we discussed last week, uh, the ability to see how they can include maybe one or two, three or four uh, players who maybe have not been a part of that fraternity to a present, and also trying out some other formations. So, yes, it was disappointing to see Cameroon lose to Uzbekistan. Um, but at the same time, it was nice to see uh, a player like Mbwemo from Brentford get his debut for the Indomitable Lions. Um, it's great to see him as a part of the team. It's great to see a young player like Christopher Wu, who I think is definitely one for the future. Amazing young player, 20 years old, um, very Van Dyke-y in, in style, but with a bit of zest and panache to him. I like him. Um, so it's interesting to see these young men. But like you said, the game against Korea will be an even sterner test. Uh, part of me hopes uh, maybe the coach decides to maybe play a stronger team, maybe something bridging or leaning towards his uh, first 11, uh, just to be able, because he is playing competition that is worthy of the best of the indomitable line. So it'd be interesting to see how that game goes. But I know they've just arranged another final friendly against Jamaica in Cameroon uh, in November pre-World Cup is the game they'll play uh, before they fly out to the Middle East to Qatar. So I think these games are less about the results and more about uh, maybe some team bonding and, and that sort of stuff. Pace certainly being set by Senegal and Morocco. Courtney, I know the Moroccans are a team that have, have caught your um, caught your attention. Form has caught my attention, Zane. If you look at uh, the Moroccans coming into their last five games uh, that they've played, also following on from the African Nations Cup, uh, they've really kicked into form prior to the World Cup. They've brought Ziyech back in from the cold. He wasn't part of the team. He's now part of the team. Um, and then they face a Chilean squad who's really got no form whatsoever, lost their last five games. <clears throat> But the team still needs to be beat. Now, Morocco, uh, as our brother Alistair went to the country, spoke so gloriously about the facilities, also spoke uh, about um, the, the, the African Nations Cup and how well Morocco fared at the African Nations Cup. I just think that there's a team, because of confidence and how the team is playing at the moment, they have an opportunity to go very far. If you just look at their statistics uh, in their last game um, against a weak Chilean squad, if I must say that, but you still got to beat them. High amount of uh, shots on targets, which is another good thing. Attacking play in abundance. I think this team could go very, very far. Yeah, I, I, I love what you say, Courtney, because you know, oftentimes when it comes to international football and the World Cup, we look at the players and we say, which team has the best players? They're the ones that are going to win the World Cup. But we know it's not like that. We know it's the teams that are organized, the team that have good support, the team that have good setup. And I think Morocco fall into that category. You know, they will leave no stone unturned in terms of preparing this side for the World Cup. And, and, and I think that particularly now, you know, 
we we've spoken before about their new coach Walid Regragi, you know, obviously won the CAF Champions League and won the Batola Pro in his first season with with Widad. You know, he's been brought in, and that's also brought in Hakim Ziyech from from the cold and brought in Nuzwar Mazraoui from the cold as well. And these are two elite elite players. And yes, Ziyech, you know, hasn't had the best time at Chelsea, but we know the quality has this tournament football guys. Like you know, this is not about players who turn up week in week out. These are the stars who step up. And even, you know, if we look back to the AFCON in January, I think Morocco were probably the most complete team. I think Senegal were very, were excellent. And you could tell they were a step above most of the other teams, but they did struggle. Whereas Morocco kind of only fell to an Egyptian team that, you know, won purely on, you know, aggressive, you know, borderline violent football and pedigree alone. And let's be real, when it comes to AFCON football, Pele's Brazil will struggle against Egypt. I don't care who you are. The pedigree of Egypt and AFCON, you know, any team will struggle. And I think Morocco will, I, I think they have a really good shot. And I think they also, you know, I've been looking through the groups and I think they, for them, it all comes down to that that first game against Croatia because they have Croatia, Belgium and Canada. And, you know, they play Croatia, then Belgium, then Canada. And, you know, the reality is Belgium are, you know, top, top tier team and so are Croatia. And so they have to beat one of those teams if they want to get through this group. Uh, and I think that's where the challenge is, is going to come come for them. And, you know, even, and I think, you know, there's a lot of teams in, in African football that are reliant on one or two individual players. I would throw Cameroon into that category. You know, I think one of the issues they played against, they faced against Uzbekistan is they missed Frank Zambo Angisa, who in my opinion is one of the best midfielders in Europe this season. You know, he's been sensational. He's a one-man midfield for Napoli, you know, in many respects. And he's the same for Cameroon. But I think Morocco aren't that team. You know, they they have a completely functional midfield that, and it exists purely to to give Hakimi, give Ziyech, give Bufal the kind of opportunities to create. And I think when you saw them putting together the pieces at the AFCON, they looked incredible. Now, can they do it against the biggest and best teams? Because I think they're, you know, along with Senegal, the, the team in Africa that have the players who, you know, can step at the top table. You know, I don't think there's a better right back in world football than Ashraf Hakimi. And so I think Morocco present a really, really interesting path. But again, World Cup football, it's all going to come down to that first game against Croatia. Can they get a positive result? And, you know, for me, if they lose that game, it's really, really difficult. If they get a draw, if they win, suddenly there's there's a big chance of them going through. Zane, you mind if I just come in there as well? I'm just following on from Alistair what he's saying. If you look at that World Cup group, personally... I feel Morocco could pick up six points. The Croatia game and the Canada game is where you can get your points. The Belgium game is not a game. Uh, yes, nobody goes out to lose games or draw games. No. Uh, but Belgium, they're not firing at the moment, but th there's just too much quality in that team at this point in time. Even though there's this level of disgruntledness with Martinez and they are questioning, is he going to be the manager to take them to the World Cup? But I feel Morocco's got a good opportunity of collecting six points in that group, which could put them second, or, or, or I, I believe second. So um, I really think this is a team on the up in the right place to go for. And remember, it's only seven games to the final. And and and, and remember as well, so, sorry, like even, even in the last World Cup when they had a much weaker team, a much worse coach, they almost came out of a group with, with Portugal and Spain. Like, they were they were a last minute winner or loot loss from their perspective away from getting out of that group with two of the best teams in the world. They they have it in their locker. Sorry, Francis. All I was gonna say is like I'm not a I don't believe this is an either or. I actually believe 
kind of again like forgive me for for turning a lot to what Tabuleto was saying. It's like I do like a lot of the narrative he's preaching at present, and I genuinely believe that we have this time three, four, and possibly five options teams that can go past this group stage. And so whoever, wherever you are, do what you need to do to get yourself where where you are. And so for Morocco, it will be uh, the depth of their squad, their style of play, and their stability. Cameroon is slightly different. And to speak to the point you made about Zambo and Gisa, it's something that I thought we should have even examined before when he wasn't called up because the president of the club says, I don't want my players traveling halfway around the country, around the world to play for their countries. And so to avoid any brouhaha for him, a coach makes a decision to say, I'll leave you where you are because you don't need that. It's just some friendlies we're going off on. That's the reason he's not with the team. And when they ask the coach, he says, I'll still take him to the World Cup. But at this point in time, I don't need him. So we understand. But Zembo, for me, isn't a starter in the Cameroon national team, if you ask me. I prefer Hongla. Personally, I prefer Hongla and Onana or Hongla and Um. They make a better and more complementing partnership. Zembo is world-class when he plays for Napoli. But with Cameroon, he comes with a little bit of some baggage, and that's why he had a bit of attrition with Eto'o. It's kind of like, you can do this at club level, but you got to bring it to, to the national team. And if you turn up here and you act like you're playing with players who are less than you or something like that, it engenders a certain unnecessary atmosphere. And I think some of his teammates take exception to the way he plays when he's playing for Cameroon. Nobody questions his talent. We all believe he's truly phenomenal. Um, but they're looking for their format that will work for them. And when you look at the pool that Cameroon's in, it's no different to Ghana. They're trying to find their own way. And I think it's exciting to see so many African countries all making sure that turning up isn't enough. I don't think uh, any of these countries, including Tunisia, are thinking they're just turning up in Qatar and that's already a win. Uh, those days, I think, are gone by the sort of managers we have now. The fact that we have five African countries going to the World Cup with five African managers we're going to talk about a manager i think these are the things that are really important and it's not for us to be picking at each other who's doing what better it's saying we're all trying to be better so we can be part of this ecosystem and we will be led by african coaches and that's the stuff i really think is phenomenal of course not forgetting senegal who uh beat bolivia 2-0 they play around this week in a game that um you know shouldn't be lost on the fact that there's a, a situation in Iran at the minute politically that's going on with protest and unrest. Um, so, you know, um, for those wondering, the game's actually going to be played in Austria. It's not being played um, in Iran, um, which I think could have put the, the teams in a very uncomfortable position. But um, great to see Mane on the scoring charts uh, against Bolivia underlies his ability, Francis, to do it not only with his club team, but also his national team. He's somebody who steps up, he delivers. Um, I know there was a missed penalty in the shootout, but he scored one in the AFCON. Um, he's a man who continually knows how to produce the goods for his national team and, of course, his his club team at the minute, Bayern Munich. Well, Zane, you're talking about a guy that's done it everywhere, honestly. Um going through a bit of a difficult patch in the last four games at Bayern Munich, but uh, a change of climate sometimes bring that. Nobody doubts the boy's ability. He is a one-man wrecking machine. Um, and besides everything else, it's just the effort, Zane. 
effort that that guy puts into the team and the respect for the national team he has. He carries the same badge home and away, international home and away. You know, what a pleasure of a role model to have. Um, we just hope he can take that form into, with Senegal as a unit, into the World Cup and, and really start knocking down some big teams. All right, guys, that feels like a good point to move us on to our next big talker for today, which is Pizzo Mosimani and his appointment at Al-Ahli. No, not in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia. Um, he will no longer be in red. He will be in green, a similar green to what you see Brother Francis wearing at the minute. Um, but to get some analysis on why Pizzo has made this move, we spoke to our friend of the show, Edwin Khaswe from ENCA. He's an assignment editor. He's an expert in African football and broadcasting. Take a listen to what Edwin thinks about Pizzo's move to the Middle East. Well, Pizzo's decision to join Al-Akhli in Jeddah in the Saudi Professional League is a very interesting one. It just shows you where he is at the moment as a coach. Uh, he's Africa's best ever coach, um, having achieved enormous success with Mamelodi Sundowns and having uh, gone on to replicate that with uh, Al-Ali in Cairo. Now I think he's decided to really prove himself as a good coach. He's out there to make sure that people start recognizing his ability as a coach to, to show perhaps uh, European clubs how good he is as a coach because he's taking on a team that is uh, in the second division um, Al-Ahli are really, really big in Saudi Arabia. They've got massive support, but they are an underachieving team. And I think this is the challenge that Pizzo has set for himself to say, I'll take over this team, I'll get them promoted to the professional league, and then we'll start seeing if we can win some trophies. I mean, um, this is a team that has uh, won only three league titles. Uh, as opposed to their rivals Al-Hilal, who have 18 league titles uh, in the Saudi Professional League. So I think this is a challenge that Pito Musimane has set for himself. It's a project that will set him up um, as one of the best coaches, not only on the African continent, but in the world, uh, just to prove to uh, particularly European uh, clubs that he can and he will um, do great things with Al-Ahli in Saudi Arabia. Thank you, Edwin, for that analysis. Friend of the show, Mr. Khaswe, who works for ENCA in South Africa. Gentlemen, this is certainly an interesting talk. It's great to see Pizzo back in football. Um, you know, incredibly successful at Al-Ahli. Three Champions League finals. Um, two of those that he won at the helm. Um, we know the dynasty he built in Sundowns and the success that came there, including a CAF Champions League. Um, you know, one of the most successful uh, coaches, I think, in world football in the last few seasons. Um, he also achieved great things at the FIFA Club World Cup, which is the pinnacle in many ways for Pizzo and where he can coach with two third-placed finishers. Um, so again, I think he's someone we all in high regard um, I think we can be unafraid and bold and bashful and saying he's also a friend of the show. He's been on with us. We've spoken to him. We have insight into his achievements. 
And while I think this presents a great channel in, challenge in the Saudi first division, um, because Al Ali were, were relegated from uh, the Saudi Pro League, uh, he's taking over a team that only has eight points from seven starts. So, I mean, it is a firefighting job in many ways. He's got to turn them around. Um, on one level, I'm, um, if, if I put myself as somebody who was at a club or uh, owning a team, uh, wherever it is in the world, I would think that this is a guy I would like involved. Um, so I'm happy to see him back in coaching, but um, I do feel mixed about him going to a first division team in Saudi Arabia. So I think we'll open it there. I see you nodding, Courtney. So maybe you want to want to jump in right now. Zane, you know, I've got to be very controlled with my emotions in, in this um, summary of what I want to say. I also don't want to come across as disrespectful to the club. I don't want to, right? The club can appoint whoever they want and other clubs have the right to not appoint whoever they want. That is out there. My problem is if you look at the lie of the land, how many unsuccessful managers are out there getting jobs consistently. Now, I'm just going to mention one, okay? I'm going to mention Nigel Pearson, who was at Watford, who was at Leicester. When he lost the jobs, then went to Belgium, got a job, and then came back to the English Premier League. In his time as a manager, Nigel Pearson has won nothing. Okay, Been unsuccessful at a lot of clubs. How does he get a job in Belgium ahead of a very successful manager managing a team possibly three or four times bigger with a fan base than the clubs in Belgium gang that Pearson was at? How is that possible? Now, go back to my very my introduction. Clubs can appoint whoever they want to. Who is promoting the Pizzo brand? that he's only ticking boxes in one area and not in areas like Belgium, Turkey, where he's on the fringes of breaking into Europe's top leagues because Pizzo has taken his team to the Club World Cup and done well. Pearson has not gone nowhere near that. Walter Mazzarazzi has not gone nowhere near that. Malky Makai has not gone nowhere near that. But Pizzo is now gone to Saudi Arabia to manage. It just doesn't make sense. And this is where people start talking about it's not fair. Well, the world is not fair. But I just think that I'm happy he's employed, yes, but I feel there was a bigger job out there for him if his recruitment team were pushing his narrative better. Well, if I may interject, I think uh, Brother Courtney makes some very, very pertinent points. Um, primarily, agency is a key part of how talent is pushed. So you might look at, okay, cool. Uh, who knows he exists because a lot of owners are not watching uh, the World Club Championships. Let's be brutally honest. Uh, only stakeholders really take an interest in it to that extent. Um, he's not necessarily, Pizzo is not necessarily a household name outside of our shores. Um, it was an introduction even to me, a member of this uh, rather um, glorious gathering of, of intellectuals. Um, Pizzo was somebody who I knew as an assistant 
to in the South African setup back in the name. So I'd come across the name and then we started talking about him and I was like, oh my Lord, how do we not know? And I like to think I am kind of knowledgeable about the game, especially on the continent. But the selling of our products is almost more important than the content of our products. And we all know players, and I'm sure you, Courtney, and I'm sure Brother Zane, I know undoubtedly Ali has probably played with or know of some incredible talent on our continent that were never known to the world. Um, and that's usually more to do with the lay of the land. It's the way it's done. And it's the exposure we engender as well when we are successful. Because with all things, especially management, network is more important than talent, capacity, ability. Now, if we were to look at the, the Saudi Arabian option, um, I also have to highlight the fact that right now, Saudi Arabia as a nation is making a point they're doing this with golf, they're doing this with boxing. As a nation, they're encouraging, it's, it's a very wealthy club, so I assume the owner of the club also has very good political connections as well. And so part of this is also a statement. And I like that the statement also comes in the form of one of Africa's greatest, getting an opportunity to show their wares there. Um, but to speak to the point that Zane made and to speak particularly to the point that you've made, Courtney, there is a tinge of disappointment in that we know he deserves better. But I also think timing is also important. And he has been out of work for three to four months, uh, of which we know he chose to take a pause for the cause. So there are not so many jobs going. And usually to get on the radar of some of these maybe European or South American or North American clubs, which I know is a space I, for one, think he could easily fit into really, really well. It's more about hitting the new cycles. So he could have taken six months if I were working with him and just say, commentate. Go and come to England when it's uh, go to Sky News and... and Go to ESPN and talk. Share your knowledge of the game. Let the other guys also look and go, oh, wow, uh, quite knowledgeable. How would you have done this? Uh, why do you think this player did okay and we're all criticizing his decision in this moment? You exhibit your wares. And I think that's the part that we don't do so well. But sometimes it's because we, are, we aren't granted the, the opportunities to. So I think following this move, he will get greater moves if he wants to continue in the game, but he must be more aligned to the marketing of himself beyond our shores. Now, if maybe he's happy and that's what he wants, which we don't know, he may be content with where he is and likes that challenge. Um, but I think there are many other coaches in our space that we must understand that there's a game to be played. And people like Zane know this very, very well. Um, Sometimes your phone rings simply because somebody saw you on TV and went, oh, wow, forgot about this guy or don't know this guy. Anybody knows this guy? And they'll call a Zane and say, you're the producer on the show. Can we get a number for this dude? Don't know him, but like what his team's doing. Sometimes they don't know how to reach you. you know. So we're just happy for him. I would like to believe. And we hope he really does well and gives us yet another uh, uh, arrow 
that we can stick in this bow and 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 see how we can't have him hit some higher targets and maybe some more challenging and, and greater leagues. Great answer, Francis. Loved hearing you earlier, Courtney. And Ali, I promise I'm going to bring you in. I just look at it this way. And again, this is not in anything that's going to be a contradiction to what you said, Francis or Courtney. But we see Benny McCarthy at Man United working with the strikers. We see Bradley Carnell as the head coach of the MLS expansion team, you know, St. Louis City. Um, we see Carlo Torre working with Brendan Rodgers and albeit struggling at the minute with Leicester City. And you look at somebody like Pizzo, who is a specialist in this craft, who is a brain, who is, you know, had he coached, had he been born in Spain and coached and achieved great things with Real Sociedad or Sevilla or, um, or, or, or one of the, let's call them mid-level smaller teams, he would be somebody that would be incredibly hot property in the top five European leagues would be chasing him. National teams would be chasing him. Or if he had achieved some form of success, perhaps in South America with some of the big boys out there, whether it's Boca or Corinthians or Flamenco, wherever it might be. And I just think given we have some guys who are doing some great work in the club spaces overseas, because let's face it, that's where the money is. That's where the talent is. And that's where the, the opportunities are. I just think you've got probably the best kept secret in African football and people are missing out on it. And I do hope his entry into Saudi Arabian football, albeit in a first division team, um, might perhaps open up people in that league to him and also Asia, because we also know that the Asian market is an important market and one where, uh, you know, maybe he becomes the guy who not only dominates in Africa, dominates in Asia, and maybe takes a bit of a longer road to get where he needs to go in next. Um, I think we want to bring in Ali and then maybe Courtney. Yeah, I'm, I, I think... You know, I, I really like what Francis said about kind of media stuff. Obviously, I think the famous example is Jurgen Klopp, who obviously was a sensational coach and manager, but he didn't really get his break until he wasn't coaching, but he was being a pundit on kind of German TV. And I think it was for one of the World Cups in 2010 or something. And, and that's what kind of, you know, built his profile and turned him into this kind of, you know, coach. And yeah, obviously, you know, Pizzo doesn't have those opportunities to break into that space in, in Europe. And, and so he doesn't have the capacity to do that. But I think Francis is, you know, totally spot on in terms of that marketing capacity. I think I think what I found really interesting from from him joining there is that it felt almost like he was playing. He showed his hand, you know, for, for all, those of us, you know, in the kind of African circles, we we had a lot of hope after the Al-Ahli exit that, you know, this was finally going to be the moment we we're going to see an African coach make it big. Um, you know, we, he'd proved himself in, in South Africa, he proved himself in Egypt, and now he's going to make that step to, you know, we were hoping somewhere like Courtney said, Belgium or Turkey, you know, one of these kind of, you know, maybe B tier leagues in Europe and build up that way. And and I think the reality is it feels like that hasn't happened, you know, and, you know, from what we know about Pizzo is it's not, it hasn't happened for a lack of him trying, you know, he's the type of guy who will go out and market himself, these people building those networks, but you know, they haven't given him that opportunity for whatever reason. Obviously, we, you know, we have, you know, we, we know that there's a lot of good reasons, good and bad, not that he hasn't been selected. But but I also wouldn't sell Al-Akhli short because I think what it is, what's interesting is it's is it's the first project since Supersport United that Pizzo has had to build, you know, a, 
not a not a not a top tier team you know and and even even more so than super sport united to be honest because you know super sport back then were in a really strong position um but you know you sundowns he takes over when they're already you know probably the best performing team in Africa. Alakli, you know he comes in when they're about to win the league whereas this is a really different project than Alakli, and we also know pizza he's not going to take this you know with the selling his eye you've got a second division saudi side you know that's he would not take that we know that if he's taking that he's got the backing He's got the promises of, uh, of the kind of ownership to to be pushing, and that makes sense because obviously Al Ahly are they're not a second division club, are they? You know, they're they're a team that realistically is looking to be moving up up the league and back into the Champions League where they really belong in in Asia. Um, obviously, we can't speak with the same expertise, but they are a big team. They're one of the biggest, you know, behind um, the likes of of Al Hilal, uh, and, and so I think there's there's a big opportunity for him to build a project. To, and you know see out you know again another few years and Pizzo has shown that he has the capacity to have longevity in a way in which other coaches aren't you know particularly with Al-Akhli, but also Sundowns you know Sundowns is not a a forgiving a forgiving job as uh, you know Courtney and Zane can tell us but I, and I think that's a really interesting and you know unique opportunity for Al-Akhli. and and look the reality is and you know we bemoan it and rightly so the reality is, is Asia is, is above Africa in the pecking order in terms of where people are taking, particularly coaches from. But what I would say is we have the encouragement of, of coaches. You know, I look to like, say, Ange Postacoglu, you know, who did a sensational job in Japan and got that job at Celtic, who, again, you know, are similar to maybe Al-Akhli, where, you know, football wise, they're not maybe at the, the, the top table, but culture, fan wise, you know, profile wise, they are at the top table. And so I think that it is, you know, it's it's sad because it's shown that he couldn't make that step up. But, you know, I think, you know, Al-Akhli are a great team for him to be building up to that step because if he can get them up this season, which will be the objective, and if he doesn't, he probably won't last. But if he can get them up and then in the next two or seasons, get them to the top table in Saudi, get them to the top table in Asia, then I think it'll be another feather in a cap because the reality is he's not going to be able to move from a top side like Al-Akhli in Egypt, the top African side, and move straight into a top European side. What he has to show is actually I can take the teams that are down in the bottom of the league and I can take them up the league. Because if he gets a job in, you know, whether it's the championship or Belgium or somewhere, you know, he's, he's probably not going to walk into the club Bruges job, but, you know, he might he might walk into one of the, you know, Lomel or, you know, a club like that where it's lower down. But if he can show, I've been at Al-Akhli in Saudi, I was in the second division. I got them promoted. I took them to the Champions League. Blah blah blah. Suddenly, he has a huge. He has a much bigger CV than than he necessarily had when he, you know, was at at Sundowns and even at Alakli because Alakli are, you know, for all the amazing success he had, they are the biggest team. They're the best team. They're expected to be there. And so I think it is. It's frustrating, but I think it also presents really great opportunity for him. Zane, you know, I think we could talk on this topic for the whole day. But I just, I just feel that <clears throat> Alice has raised a few more points on top of what I also wanted to add. The thing that Pizzo has, which a lot of managers don't have, I believe he's a two-tier coach. He's not only managed powerful, successful teams, but he's also managed teams who were struggling and made them successful. Now, people will forget Sundowns were not a successful team in South Africa. There were only two teams in South Africa. Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs. Sundowns were even... There was a third team called Manning Rangers. Well, uh, I was the juggernaut. (laughs) You don't need to remind me about that. Um, (laughs) But Pizzo took these teams and made them successful. Now you have a manager that can can 
manage teams from the bottom and make them successful, which is a, a unique skill. And then go to Al-Ashli, where there's a powerful team, and continue their power and make them even great. So this is my problem I have here. And Francis lent onto this as well. The owners, I believe, and this is just my perspective, are lazy in their scouting for who's successfully out there, right? Now, I'm going to equate it to a very simple, not on the same level of what my example I'm trying to make. As you know, I work in a school. When we have an Ofsted inspection, my job is to find out who are the Ofsted inspectors in the area and who may be coming. And then when I find out who may be coming, then I go into their profile. What are they about? What did they do? What was their last inspections? You do your background so you know who is out there and who's coming so you know how to react. I just think owners have been lazy in sometimes. And I'm not all owners. Don't get me wrong. Look at Celtic. Look at Celtic, what they did, and, and, and the guy they went and recruit. But now look at Dundee United. Look at the, the, the circumstances that Malky Mackay left Cardiff. Dundee United give him a job. There's a successful guy like Pizzo Mosimani out there making juggernauts of teams. You know, it's just that I, I just think the same names just now. Just now, Alan Pardew is going to get a job. Just now. He's sitting somewhere doing nothing, waiting to be employed. It's lazy recruitment by people with money sometimes. Well, I know it's been called an all-boys club very often. And so there is, it speaks to the point I was making earlier on. It's about understanding that there, there is a network that exists. And so in this space, just like when you're in the US, for example, they recruit from amongst the people that they know as well and very few people go outside of their comfort zones including owners but the owners is on talent to also make themselves available to be on the radar and not just the radar but get into the psyche and that's why this thing i was talking about with the press thing it helps because it just allows to make a case for different now for a person like peter i know for example that i for one had mentioned his name to a couple of owners who we're just beginning to say, okay, but we all know that this this space in, in, in the United Kingdom, for example, things just, the season just began. So yes, they fired a few, but most people are still looking and going, okay. And before we could even have a convo that went beyond, I'm two weeks old in the UK at present, so to speak, or three weeks. And we've had maybe like a few, and it was like, oh, and he he's in employment already. So this didn't happen overnight. So that meant from the moment he said, I, I take a break with my holiday, he made his CV available to certain people or certain people came knocking. Meanwhile, in the European space, which is the only space we can speak for at present, it tends to be by the time you're approaching November, then they're beginning to do the callings. And, you know, so houses like Cardiff that were able to get rid of a young coach who was, learning his his craft so to speak and doing what he was doing those kind of clubs have ownership that have a belgian club and have a it's into those kind of spaces that i believe somebody like him could go into but these kind of clubs i have to say didn't necessarily have enough time to be able to say okay we know of this guy who's been waiting for six months he can afford to wait i mean like it's not like a, the, he's he's hungry 
And that's why I give the example early on of, of Potichino. So there are good managers who are out there, failed or not, who have names and have CVs. But you kind of have to wait. So the Allen party you spoke about hasn't been in gainful employment for a hot minute, but he will get a gig probably because he'll bide his time, but he will stay relevant. So in this time, what I meant was while Pizzo had the luxury of being able to still not be hungry and not be desperate for a job, if the European space or the South American space or the North American space was his target, then you play a game that makes you noticed by that space. And you must give that time. There's a whole World Cup coming. As far as I'm concerned, he could have been like a prime candidate for being a pundit on one of these kind of, where you then exhibit your wares, which is his brain. But people don't get the opportunity to get to know. So we can't be mad at them for him being quick in his decision to take on a project, which must be a project because he's that intelligent. So he probably believes this project will be the exhibition for his wares. And then maybe they'll judge afterwards. I think this is probably a good place to leave it. Thank you for all the discussion, guys. And look, if you look around the Saudi professional league, there are a lot of very good coaches in that league. So maybe there's method to the madness. Maybe there is no madness. Maybe it's the fact that I can come up against the like of Nuno Espirito Santos in a year and start to beat some of these highly rated or once upon a time uh, much vaunted brains in Europe to show that I can outcoach. So maybe knowing we know that there's a lot of money in Saudi Arabia, I think Francis, as you mentioned, boxing, football, um, golf, they've gone into all types of um, sports that have brought with it certain criticisms and certain kudos. Um, maybe there's a long-term game plan of going, you know what, I think I could maybe outcoach these guys. But let's leave it here, gentlemen. Um, before we go, I'm going to hit the mailbag. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did a podcast asking what's happened with, um, I was going to say Mo Farah, Mo Salah's mojo. Um, and we had uh, a number of people giving us their hot takes. We had Conal Levine uh, sending us a question and saying, why move, Mo, why move Mo wider when he was lethal where he was? And this is obviously in relation to his positioning at Liverpool. And we also had Kalen Geeky tweet in going, nope, he's playing wider He's playing wider than any point in his Liverpool career. And Trent is not providing him the same cohesion going forward as in the past. And he's out of form, which had Salah's ability to get into the box. All right, guys, we love hearing from you. Please tweet us. Um, send us your comments on Facebook. Again, I'll plug it. OTW underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and if you want to find us on Facebook and YouTube, on the whistle podcast just search for that post a comment leave a rating leave a review it helps people find the show and maybe when we have enough people subscribing and listening we'll finally get courtney to declare himself on social media all right guys always a pleasure thank you ali thank you courtney thank you francis um we look forward to uh sitting around the brian next week i hope you have a good week <laughs>